0: Wow, what a what a privilege to uh, be back in what I consider family. Uh, we were here two years, almost exactly, and we've only been gone three. It might seem like six or seven to you, Rick, but it's only three years since we've been gone. But man, the family has changed, um, and that's one of the exciting things about this church is just what God does season to season. So it's a privilege to be back amongst you and even a a greater privilege and honor to share with you this morning something of what God has put on my heart. Um, You would have first been hearing from Jill. I apologize for her absence and I apologize again that you have to look at me for five minutes longer rather than her pretty face. Um, but about a year ago she was diagnosed with celiac disease for those that um, know what that is and for her that's it's still quite sensitive so no dairy no gluten no soy in in preparations for coming on this trip uh, we were under a lot of pressure and basically we've managed to gluten, using the word as a verb, we've managed to gluten her really well, and she was very sick last night. And we have a 4 a.m. start tomorrow morning, so she went straight back to the apartment to, to sleep because she didn't last night, and she apologizes. She felt bad, she couldn't be here. But she wanted to just simply share something of the challenge of living with celiac disease while being called to somewhere like Mongolia. Much of the advice she was given was, well, you've got to think about relocating, you've got to think about going home, but we had a sense that this is where God placed us, and for whatever purpose, this is something the Lord has asked her and us as a couple to bear. We're still learning. Um, so please, we value your prayers. This is the first huge trip that we've taken uh, with her as a celiac. So preparing her own food, etc. Um, she's nervous. Her biggest fear actually was that this would happen. Um, and someone's whistling behind me. Uh, <laughs> but just remember her in your prayers as we travel and again, I'm sorry that she couldn't be before you, but she'll be praying. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> you want to come to Mongolia, it's a lot worse. <laughs> so here's, here's what I want to share something of this morning. Don't lose heart. And boy, is that a message to us this morning. As she is lying there glutened, feeling, I knew this is what would happen. Um, don't lose heart. And I've taken the story. We just read the first half of the story of these two men who are on the road after Christ's crucifixion and death. And they're heading back to their, their town. Now, if you were at Bible school, they would teach you to take a passage and to open it up and to do an expository Uh, preach. What they frown upon very often is exactly what I'm going to do this morning, and my lecturers would just, mm, he's doing it again, because I actually want to use this passage as a springboard into this topic, rather than pull it apart and look at the different elements. So I apologize to the purists amongst us here this morning, but the older I get, it seems to me the easier it is to lose heart or get discouraged over things. I look at the state of our land, of Britain, and it grieves me, the direction that it's going, and I know many of you could echo that about your own homeland. Uh, People's lives that we invest in. You know, after 20 years in Mongolia, we've invested heavily in some people's lives, some of them are a joy to watch, but some leave you just heavy-hearted with the direction that they've chosen. And it often makes me think, how does God feel about me? Do I disappoint God in some of my choices? Uh, The amount that he invested in me in giving his son... And my response sometimes to him, I am sure, if he, if I dare say this, could be discouraged with me. Um, But these two men, they were discouraged. They were disheartened and confused. One day, they had a vision. They had a savior. They had a following. But within a couple of days, all their dreams... All their hopes and their understanding shattered before them. And the dense fog of uncertainty covered them. And then Jesus comes alongside them as they're going home. He begins to talk to them, and, and there's a gentleness, there's a warmth, and something begins to happen inside them let me read you a few more verses at the end of that story and this is this is from the message version they came to the edge of the village where they were headed he that's jesus acted as if he was going on but they pressed him hey stay with us it's late have supper it's nearly evening the day's done so he went in with them And here's what happened. He sat down at table with them, taking the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures to us. Didn't we feel that fire? And something changed. And having walked all that way in despondency, they literally turned around and leapt all the way back to Jerusalem to tell what Jesus had done. Something radically affected them when Jesus was in their midst. Do I have a a thingy to change the slide by any chance, or have I just got to nod? Okay, um, here we go, great. Sorry, I didn't really think about it till afterwards. (laughs) This is my thought process this morning, just in case you wonder what this nutty Englishman is on about. What causes us to lose heart? We lose heart when we lose sight of God, surely that's obvious. Okay, what causes us To lose sight of God. What obscures our vision? This is my thought process for where we're going this morning. What causes us to lose sight of God? What obscures our vision? Let me read you a news story. Uh, Maybe we could have the next slide. Um, Now, I just ought to apologize for this. For those of you with perfect eyesight, this is a cliff with a red dot and in that red dot is a car. For those of you, the rest of us, who don't have perfect eyesight, we just have to take it on good faith that in that red dot is a car. Okay? And all will be revealed. This is the story. It's about five years old. A 56-year-old woman has been rescued after being trapped overnight in her car when it plunged over a cliff in northwest Cornwall in misty, foggy weather. The car rolled several times down the 90-meter, 300-foot cliff at St. Agnes Head before coming to rest on a ledge just before a sheer drop. The Coast Guard said the woman had been there since Monday afternoon. This is now Tuesday morning. Ben Stafford from Truro, a local city, said he'd been out jogging with his wife and friends about nine o'clock that morning and they spotted the car. He said, and I quote, I saw a car perched on the edge of the cliff where it shouldn't be. I climbed down to the car and there was a woman in the passenger seat. She said she was here yesterday at about four in the afternoon and it was really foggy. She said she missed the road and started to tumble down the cliff and got thrown into the passenger seat while it tumbled. By the grace of God, she stopped by the cliff edge. Mist and fog. Anyone who's lived on an island, uh, or like Britain especially we will understand what fog is. We have a... Our first topic of conversation is the weather in Britain. And fog, if you ever live... Our home is in this county by the sea. And fog, it's just part of your life. But it's so debilitating. And sometimes, unlike this woman may be, you just abandon where you're going. You give up and you turn around. And what I want to do this morning is look at three very simple fogs that can cause us to lose sight of God. Each one of them in a way is connected, but I want to look at three simple fogs beginning with D for ease. And the first one is fog of discouragement. It says in the passage, and they stood looking sad as Jesus came and asked the question they were just heads bowed down sad the fog of discouragement had descended upon them and they were plodding making slow way home two Old Testament examples to back up what I want to say the first one It's from the book of Ezra. Here we are. The exiles have come back from Babylon and they're beginning to rebuild the temple. Hard at work, enthusiastic, and the locals come along and they say, hey, we worship your God. We want to join in with you. We want to help you build your temple. Let us help. But realizing that they had ulterior motives, being wise people of God, the the Jews said, no way. And from that point on, it says, the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah. They began to create all sorts of false news and just saying all sorts of things that caused their hearts to be heavy and they discouraged the people and made them afraid to build is what it says. That discouragement was enough to stop them building. It knocked, we say in English, it knocked the stuffing out of them. It took the wind out of their sails and they ground to a halt. Discouragement often sets in, and fear rises, and the work is paralysed. And you know what? The longer you live, the more likely we are, the more likely it is that we've experienced this kind of discouragement and felt like giving up, especially if you're someone in leadership. Discouragement is a big challenge and can cause you just to grind to a halt. The second example, also well known, from Numbers 13. Now if I was in a classroom setting, I'd say, okay, everybody knows Numbers 13. What's Numbers 13 all about? I won't ask Rick because he knows the Bible inside out. But... um, It's the classic passage where Moses sends the spies into the promised land for the first time. He sends one from each tribe and they go and they have a whale of a time. They see amazing things, they gather amazing evidence and they come back initially full of enthusiasm and begin to share about what they'd seen what they'd experienced. But something happens. They dwelt too long on the impossible of the task. And they, instead of saying, but look what God's giving us, they said, but look what's before us. It's impossible. And all Caleb and Joshua began to discourage the people. To the point that they said, there's no way we can go in this place. It's just too big a task. We can't do it. And fear once again rose. And in this case, rebellion against God that would lead to 40 years wandering round and round and round the wilderness. Until God had dealt with those that had rebelled. In the first instance, what's notable is that the prophets, the leaders of the people, got together. And their prophets, they brought the word of God into the situation. And the word of God, it says, just put a fresh hope in these people and they began to build again. There's a clue there. They brought the word of God into the situation and hope began to rise when discouragements come to you and i where do we look where do we look they looked to the word of god and the word of god brought to them yes through their leaders did something in their hearts we have a prophet we have the prophet do we not dwelling in our hearts how often in those situations is it our first thought to turn to him to turn to his word and find encouragement to be inspired by his word and you know leaders it's our responsibility to lead by example we do yes we do get discouraged but we need to go to the word and His word and find encouragement and to lead through those times of discouragement. Let's not be like the children of Israel that allowed the discouragement, the fog of discouragement, to turn them into rebellion. It was all too much. They had to do their own thing. It's a subtle ploy of the enemy, discouragement, but it affects us all at every level. And it can lead us, like that poor lady, into incredible danger if we do not turn to the word. Our second one is a fog of distraction. So, what distractions, what distracts you in your Christian life? You know, in Britain, and I'm sure in many countries, If you have a road accident, the insurance company has all sorts of questions and all sorts of forms to fill in. And usually, one of the standard things is you've got to give a reason why this thing happened. And some people's reasoning uh, is quite amusing. And I'm just going to pick two very quick ones that I think, hopefully, one we can identify with, and, and one is just a. Amusing. So these are two quotes from actual insurance claims. Yeah. In an attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telegraph pole, or a telephone pole, which for those who are too young to know what a telephone pole is, before the mobile phone, your phones went along lines down the roads. But trying to kill this fly, I drove into this telephone pole. And the second one res- reads like this. I pulled away from the side of the road, Glanced at my mother in law and headed over the embankment. (laughs) These are actual quotes. It's easy to be distracted. And if we're not careful, distractions will shipwreck us. So, what distracts you in your Christian life? What causes you to lose sight of God? Just for a moment. Just for a moment that causes a whole new pathway to open up. Mostly, they can be very genuine concerns, like the fly. Who hasn't tried to get rid of a fly while driving? It's the most irritating thing in the world, it is to me. I can't abide flies in the car. Um, Who hasn't tried? But it could be family. It could be your children. It could be finances. It could be sickness other people's concerns, all of these things, absolutely genuine, but sometimes they're distracting, and sometimes they will just pull us away enough from God for us to lose our way and tumble down the cliff. Many of them, they create anxiety, stress. The Mongolians have taken on a number of western english words and one of them is stress i'm stressed they say Um, it robs us of our peace worry sets in and down comes the fog and we lose our way in the church as we are now there are many subtle distractions And I forgot to bring my phone up. But maybe in this century, the greatest distraction in the church is the mobile phone. I'm sure you're all well behaved here. And only use it because it's got your Bible on it. Um, But in Mongolia, everybody's, that's their excuse. But you know, especially some of the older folk start with a sign that says, please turn off your phone. It doesn't say, just put it on silent, turn it off. But in the middle of a service, you'll hear this ringtone. And I don't know what it is, but they think no one can hear if they put their head down below the chair. Hello? Hello? (laughs) (laughs) And suddenly everyone's distracted. Or you might have it on silent and you're reading scripture and someone sends you a message and it drops down at the top, and you just have to go to that message, and bam, you're distracted. One of my dear friends in Mongolia, he's a pastor, he's just decided in his church, he's not only telling them to switch them off, he's banning mobile phones. They have to come with a physical Bible from now on, uh, because it's an issue that just can't be dealt with any other way for him, Uh, and so and we've talked and talked about this. It's, it's so easy. There are all sorts. Uh, very, I'm almost scared to say this, but one of the biggest distractions in church actually can be the music. Um, in how it's used or how people receive it, it can, it can be a huge distraction. Um... We have all sorts of things within our own body that we need to just be wise about. But in in scripture, you know, there are three basic ways that temptation, which kind of distraction is beginning to move towards, temptation comes. Satan has no originality. And there are three basic ploys of the enemy. And you will find them in Genesis, you will find them in the temptations, and you will find John write about them in 1 John. That's the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life, pride of possessions. Those three things cover everything. You look at Genesis' record of his conversation with Eve, you look at the temptations and Everything John says, there they are. Three basic core patterns that he'll use to distract us from our walk with God. We need to be careful. That's 1 John two, fifteen to 17. We don't really have time to read, but they distract us. Maybe the most obvious example of that is David and Bathsheba, a story you should, would all be familiar with. How many men in scripture have been distracted by the fairer sex? Something we need to be careful of. But the fog comes down, the mist descends, and the tumble begins. Praise God for the grace of God. And in a way, this leads into my third distraction, My third fog, which for a D, yes, sorry, I've put that one back up for a minute, Josh. So I forgot about this one, the weapons of mass (coughs) distraction. And there are a few missing on there, as has been pointed out to me. Um, But it's very easy in today's technological world to be distracted. And usually those distractions may lead us into our third fog which I said was going to be a D, um, but the nearest I could get was the fog of sin in brackets destruction, because that's what sin leads to. Um, When I was a counselor in Billy Graham meetings in England when I was a young man, this is a verse that we were encouraged to, to learn as along with many others but it's one that i've often used since in isaiah 59 2. but your iniquities your sin have made a separation between you and your god and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear pretty strong statement our sin creates this separation between us and god so that he hides his face from us and does not hear. The word separate conveys the idea of a division by a wall or maybe by a curtain or something, but a division. And usually in Scripture that's between the holy and the commonplace. If you think in the temple, you had the curtain between the holy of holies and the holy place. There was this separation between a holy God and the rest. And sin operates like a curtain. It separates God and man. People in Britain, we talk about a blanket of fog, just this huge mass that comes down, and especially living on the coast. It's just this eerie silence. It just seems to quieten everything down. Not even the birds are heard. It makes it hard to hear. And in a way, it's like this curtain comes down when we are led into sin through destruction or discouragement. And it muffles the sound. Yet the good news is there. There. Praise God through Jesus that that curtain of fog that separates us in Mark's Gospel we read it was torn in two. Through Christ's redeeming blood we have a way through that curtain through the fog directly to the source of light. We do not have to stay in that condition of sin as we were reminded this morning. If we sin. We have an advocate. I loved the headless chicken illustration because that's so true. Uh, that is what we are at times. Maybe you're simply discouraged for one reason or another. Maybe you're sad, like there are two disciples at the beginning. Your eyes are looking down instead of upwards. Maybe you're distracted. You've been caught trying to swat that fly in the car, and your concentration has gone, and you've ended up not going where you're meant to go or missing your turning or worse. Maybe you've experienced life, in your life, a distraction that's led you to sin. Maybe you've completely lost the road and gone another direction, tumbled down the cliff, and you're waiting for rescue only you know this morning maybe you've never experienced life outside the fog maybe you were born in the fog and you've never been out of it never realized that god has a clear view for your life and your future but friends don't lose heart this morning do you know what lifts fog uh, can we just have the last the next slide do you know what lifts fog generally. It's the heat of the sun. As the heat of the sun rises and burns that fog away, clarity comes. When I was preparing this, um, this illustration best illustrates that, but I was thinking maybe in this congregation there may only be one person who knows what Fido stood for, and I asked that person And they didn't, they kind of, when I said it, oh yes, but otherwise it wasn't there. Um, But it comes from the Second World War. In Britain, we talked about British fog. It stands for Fog Intense Dispersal Operation. During the war they had a huge issue with planes returning to Britain and being unable to land because of the fog, especially early morning. So they came up with this design of running pipes around the runway, and they literally burned gallons, litres and litres, whatever you use, of petrol, and created an intense tube, if you like, of heat that would cause the fog to rise and almost leave a tunnel into which the planes were able to land. Listen to one man's experience. This is a, a, a pilot from the war, sharing his experience of doing exactly that. While flying Lancasters, which was a big four-engine bomber with 90 squadron based in Suffolk, we had ample experience of Fido system. Even in poor visibility, the massive glow from the flames could be seen miles away, a comforting light. We were guided down individually, into the installation, and when touching down, it was like entering a well-lit tunnel. Even if the visibility outside was nothing, it was certainly much preferable than abandoning our aircraft into the sea, which we used to do before this system came into being. Friends, by the grace of God, we, like the lady in the opening article, have been rescued. And the Son of God now burns in our hearts. And that burning sun, S-O-N, lifts the fog, just like on the runway. So the plane, in the midst of that fog, the plane had a clear tunnel to land in so the son of god who burns in our hearts lifts the fog revealing the way the direction for our lives it burns as a comforting light even in difficult times when we feel discouraged or get distracted that light is where we should turn that light will guide us back onto the right path and safety Removing for us once and for all that curtain. Filling us with hope again. And assurance of better things to come. Better things to come. Didn't our hearts burn within us? These guys said. And to close I just want to read you some verses from Hebrews. Again from the message. So friends... We can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God, into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So let's do it, full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out and not avoiding worship together as some do. But spur one another on, especially as we see the big day approaching. How do we lift the fog? How do we turn ourselves when we find ourselves distracted we come back to the cross we come back to christ we come back to the final word of god and the living word of god that he's given us and we get our focus back allow his light and his heat to burn those fogs away that clarity comes that's how we do it so this morning do not lose heart there is always hope in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I want to say thank you for investing your son's life in saving us. Father, thank you that your light, the heat of our God, burns those fogs away as we turn and focus on you you guide us through these times forgive us for being distracted getting downcast lord even falling into sin forgive us this morning for just glancing away at the wrong moment lord help us to keep our focus on you the author and the finisher of our faith who is the way the truth and the life thank you jesus Amen.